what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Over here is Chris. Hello, hello. Podcast Chris, land. You doing okay today? I am. I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the two films we got on schedule. We've got two films we're going to be discussing, and you and I have not conferred or shared any thoughts on either of these films yet. So this will be kind of good, fresh conversation for both Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. Well, as you probably can surmise from the name of the show and from the fact that we just said we're going to be reviewing movies. Yes, this is a podcast about movies. Uh, Chris and I get together uh, maybe a couple times a month, put out an episode, talk about at least one, two, or maybe even three movie reviews from time to time. We also share some movie news that we are of particular have a particular interest in or want to see what the each other's interest level is in the new do, news items we have to share. And then we always close out the show with a recommendation. This is a film, both Chris and I provide a film that we think is worth your time. Whether it's something you can go find online and revisit, maybe it's one that slipped under the radar, maybe it's just something we feel like didn't get a lot of love or need some new love uh, applied to it. So either way, we'll walk you through our recommendations as well. That's our show. That's what we do. And we've got some good, uh, good films to talk about today for reviews. First, we'll be talking about the latest Star Wars story. And actually, I guess I could say it's the first Star Wars story with the quotes around that phrase, Star Wars story. <laughs> Uh, taking place outside of the main trilogies uh, that we know of of Star Wars. This is the film Rogue One we'll be talking about. And afterwards, we'll also be talking about a film called A Man Called Ove. Again, we have matched two films pretty darn different from each other. Yes. I want to charge you, Chris, with thinking, what are the connective tissues between the two films we're reviewing? Don't have to give me an answer now. Okay. We'll follow back up later in the show and see if we've come up with anything. Okay. But we try to keep our, our variety nice and wide, and I think we've done that with these two reviews uh, as far as their tone, topic, and what have you. So with that, we're going to go ahead and get started. We'll jump right into our first film, which is Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Our rebellion is all that remains to push back the Empire. You think you might be able to help us? When was the last time you were in contact with your father? What is this? It appears he is critical to the development of a super weapon. If my father built this thing, we need to find him. All right. How many do I need? They are requesting a call sign. It's, um, Rogue. Rogue One. Chris, I like doing this podcast with you quite a bit. Phew. This is fun. <laughs> this is something I look forward to every month. Good. So do I. But I will tell you, there are some trade-offs that I have to accept by us sitting down and recording this review show. We like to come into our reviews with neither of us having talked about the film yet. Correct. You and I see each other eh, every workday, generally speaking, in passing. We're in the same building. Right. Uh, We run in some of the same circles in town. Right. And normally I can do pretty good about not really needing to talk to you about a film. (laughs) When it first comes out, I can say, you know what? 
I'm going to wait till we review it on the podcast and we'll be fine. I can wait and hold my opinion. And then that way I can share my opinion as I hear your opinion and we have a nice, lively conversation. Mm-hmm. I'll admit with these Star Wars movies in general, that's really it's tough. tough. It's tough to not want to talk about it after the minute the film is over. Right. So it has been a, almost a week since I've seen the film. I have seen it twice. And in that time, I have avoided you to some degree <laughs> to why I don't get tempted to want to talk about it. Sure. I also know, A, you are a Star Wars fan, yes. as am I. B, you're a science fiction fan. Yes. Probably more so than I am as far as the genre goes in general. I think so, yeah. Um, C, this is a interesting film to talk about because it is the first Star Wars movie that is not an episode number whatever. Right. You know, this one is a, a kind of a sideways story. In other words, you've got your main path of stories. That's your stories you follow for the main Star Wars saga. Now we're going to throw in some little side movies that kind of link in, kind of have something to do with the main story, but yet they're maybe not. They can be seen as not really as essential to the Star Wars mythos. In other words, can you still be a Star Wars person following the main episodes and not watch these little side movies? Well, maybe. I don't know. Right. So. I kind of want to kick it off to you. I, mean, I don't think feel like I have to do a whole lot of setup on this film. You know, it is a Star aware Wars of what movie. This is about. <laughs> yeah, it's Gareth Edwards, who is a director. He did Godzilla, the latest version of Godzilla, which I liked a lot a couple of years ago. He, I think he got his uh, big break with the film. Uh, was it Monsters? Yeah, uh, which was really good. Like that as well. Very interesting, low budget monster film. Um, you've got Felicity Jones starring as Jen Erso, the star of the film. You got Diego Luna. Alan Tudyk as the robot, which is uh, a K2, K2SO. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ben Mendelsohn as kind of the, the bad guy, which I think is an interesting choice. Orson Krennic. Uh, and then we've also got Mads Mikkelsen as the, uh, as the father of Jen Erso, whose name is Galen. So with the, Chris, let me just pose you the question. I guess it, it's, it's actually something I just said a second ago. Is this film an essential part of the Star Wars saga in your mind after watching it. Hmm. In other words, can you say you're a Star Wars fan and that this film fits into the whole kit and caboodle of Star Wars that we've gotten to, to love and enjoy? Is it, is it now required viewing if you're going to be watching the Star Wars saga from top, from top to bottom? So, I mean, if you were to... Right. So if you're going to watch it from top to bottom, if you're a completist, then yeah, I would say this is worth your time. This film's worth your time. Um, if you are somebody who's never seen any of these movies, mm-hmm. all you know is that there are all these annoying tie-ins everywhere and you can't walk into a fast food place without seeing some, t- you know, but you've never seen them and you have the, you know, you only have so much time. So which ones are you going to watch? Are you going to watch, you know, the episode seven that just came out last year, are you going to, you know, how, what order are you going to watch? Whatever. Um, so you have technically, you have eight movies. Mm-hmm. You have the three from the seventies, eighties, and you have the three from the nineties, the three original trilogy, the three new trilogy. Now then, the first one of the new, new trilogy, which will be, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, all told you have eight films. Yes. Um, I would say of those eight, you know, you, mm-hmm. you probably definitely want to, include this in there okay um and you could lop off depending on how you you know are we going to do a ranking can we do a ranking can we rank all eight of them oh my gosh this is gonna be so much fun i would say you know force awakens is worth your while this one's worth your while and then you know 
I guess, the originals as well, because they're the ones that started everything. If you wanted to totally not see the newer trilogy where George Lucas came back, had the tons prequels. of money, the prequels, and you didn't really want to see those, I think you'd be fine just skipping But them. do you feel like this film fits in nicely quality-wise with four, five, six, and now seven? Yeah. Okay. I do. I All do. right. Um, Are you, do you feel like it's better than any of those four films? Oh, let's see. I'm kind of forcing you into a ranking whether you know it or not. So Yeah. I, yeah, I haven't sat down and okay. actually thought about it. Um, not to put you on the spot. I just, think, you know, you know the, what's really hard with these movies, it's even hard reviewing them. Um, these, for me, and I think for you, but definitely for me, you've stated how I'm a big science fiction person. These were so, you know, crucial to me learning about, you know, storytelling and learning mm-hmm. about movies. You know, see, these are some of, some of the first movies that I saw in the seminar and saw repeatedly, not mm-hmm. just like once or twice, but repeatedly. And then, you know, VHS tapes came out. If people listening know what those even are. <laughs> um, and I got them as soon as they came out on VHS and watched them repeatedly. You know, so I've just seen these movies so many times and only within the past since the Lucas versions, mm-hmm. the newer ones, the newer trilogy that came out, the prequels, since those came out, have I been able to revisit the originals and say, okay, you know, given if you give the technology and the effects a pass, if you give maybe some bits of acting here and there a pass, mm-hmm. how do these stand up as actual films? Yes, I'm nostalgic to them, but are they really that good? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure. So, you it's know, a valid question. Ranking, ranking the sides and everything, you know, if you were to throw it, if you were to say, let's say, you can see three of them. That's it. Mm-hmm. That is it. I would say uh, Rogue One. I refuse to call it Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I would say Rogue One, Empire Strikes Back, and Force Awakens. That's it. Wow. There are all the rest of them under the bus. Chris Fry. Um, I've seen them all. Chris Fry um, just put Rogue One in his top three. Yes. Of the eight Star Wars films. Yeah. So let me, let me, let me briefly. Yeah. Tell me why. I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you why. You got it that high. Um, So, and this kind of slams the prequels, but I'm going to do it nonetheless. Go for it. I like the first. You're in in good company here. Well, see, I, I, I like the first, I like Phantom Menace because Darth Maul is in that movie. If that movie never existed, Darth Maul wouldn't exist. And he's a crucial part of my life. I have a coffee mug that I bring to work two or three times a week and he's on it. But you got to admit, if Darth Maul was not in that film, it would probably be one of, I think the worst of all the star Wars films. If he was not a character in that film, personally, that's the way I feel. Yeah, I don't, I don't know because I can't imagine that film without him. I like it. I like, I like Phantom Menace a little bit better than uh, attack of the clones. But only because of Darth Maul. Right. I mean, I think the prequels yeah. started off at an okay place and only went downhill. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Attack of the Clones was, oh, you know, getting kind of sketchy. And then by the time Revenge of the Sith, it was terrible. Well, Revenge terrible. of the Sith, I gave a little bit of a pass just because it had a couple of cool moments I liked. <sighs> so I bumped I think, it up a little bit higher than Attack of the Clones. But yeah, all, right. three, all three are still down in that cesspool down the bottom. Yeah, there, Revenge so of the Sith is just terrible. Okay. Um, terrible, right. terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay, so... Likes for Rogue One. Tell Likes for Rogue like One. It. Yeah, because we could, you know, spend know. two, three hours talking about other stuff. Yeah. So um, we have another movie we have to get to. <laughs> um, what I really admired about Rogue One is that it told a story that we're already aware of mm-hmm. in an interesting way, True. unlike the prequels. Yes. You know, everybody knew the prequels were going to set up. How does Anakin become Darth Vader? Well, you knew the end point. 
we knew that was the, the end whole point. Thing. You didn't know the story, but you knew the ending, like where it had to get right. to. Right. And some little developments were maybe interesting, but overall just very pedestrian and kind of boring. And it was mm-hmm. like they pulled a hobbit and took one, what could have been one movie and just oh, destroyed it and turned it into three. And it just, yes. you know, so whatever. Okay. So that's one thing I admired about Rogue One is everybody knew, oh, okay, this movie, if you wanted to sum it up. How does the Rebel Alliance get the plans of the Death Star to blow it up at the beginning of Star Wars A New Hope? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that, that's it. That's what this movie is. Yes. Um, and knowing that going in, they still managed to throw some interesting things in there that kept me entertained. Mm-hmm. And that's what I asked for. So that that top one, that's what, you know, my number one thing that really I sell to a rogue one is that, you know, it told a story in a way that I was already aware of, but it managed to make it interesting. Uh any movie that has Ben Mendelsohn as a bad guy, that's awesome. <laughs> he was good, wasn't he? He, he yeah. was really good. You know what? And, I'm, I'm, and I want to kind of branch off of your comment there, but I just want to make sure I, I don't forget it. Talking about Ben Mendelsohn in, in particular, mm-hmm. I think he was an inspired choice to be in this film. He was. And I liked his bad guy version, Krennic. But you know what I liked about Krennic is that I don't think Krennic was a traditional just just bad guy. I actually sensed that there is some backstory with him and Galen that we oh, didn't yeah. really get a lot of knowledge about other than just I, enough. I feel like they were friends. I oh, feel yeah. like they were comrades. They were like up fighting for the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I also think at the end of the movie, no spoilers, but the last shot we see of Krennic, I see some sense of remorse. And to me to see that as a character, I thought was really interesting. I don't think he is your, your mustache twirling bad guy, the whole film. I think he's a guy that got wrapped up in an idea and a concept and got wrapped up with power. But when it came right down to it, I think he actually sees a little bit of undoing. I don't think he, okay. Um, I think I I agree. I agree that he's not a mustache twirling villain, which is he's very, his character of Krennic is very layered. Yeah. Um, I think it comes through in the performance and probably also in the writing really well done. I will say a little bit of me because I know what Mendelssohn is capable of. I wanted a little bit more. He could have chewed it up a bit <laughs> he got, more. But, you know, but maybe it's better he's restrained too, yeah. especially for people who don't know who this guy is. And maybe it would have turned too cartoony if he would have yeah. ramped it up a little bit. But I really liked it. I will say, I'm not getting into spoilers, I don't think there's a bit of remorse in that. You don't think shot. so? Absolutely not. No, but I, I think I what, it, what he realizes is, huh, this is what I get. Like and that—that's all you know. Well, and maybe that's a little bit of it. Maybe it's not like, remorse. See, I don't he think he feels a, sorry. He for was an interesting on. character in that he's like the first Star Wars bad guy that seems to be honestly focused on office politics. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's like, am I still over this project? What's my status? You know, somebody just took this over from me, and it's like I feel like that. He just got wrapped up in the power. He got wrapped up in the the structure. And lost sight of what it is they were actually doing. I don't know. I, that's the way I feel about it when I when I see it at the end. I kind of had an interesting take on that last shot. But anyway, with I mean, I, either I, way, it's a good layered performance. Oh, yeah. The fact that we're talking about it right now sure. means there's something good there. So I agree with you on that. Humor-wise, there is a little bit of it in here. Uh, I thought they used K2SO, the new kind of like C-3PO, R2-D2 mashup mm-hmm. guy. Um, voiced by Alan Tudyk, you mentioned. I yeah. thought there were just about the right amounts of humor coming from him. He was actually, to me, better fleshed out than R2-D2 and C-3PO were in some of the early, because he's more than just comic relief. He yes. actually has kind of a, a backstory. He has some dueling issues within himself because he used to be an oh, Empire robot. Well, like that's the whole interesting there. thing is that and you get those hints of it, and he's aggressive, and yeah. he's like 
can be violent. And, you know, it's like, yeah, Doesn't he said, he said something funny, but yet he's also someone who could tear your head off pretty darn quick. Yeah. And he gets pretty rough with a few people later in the film. I, I think it was an interesting take on the annoying Android sidekick. Mm-hmm. And I liked it. Agreed. Because I felt like there was a little more depth to it. All right. Last but not least, and this is pretty important. Um, and there again, avoiding, avoiding spoiler territory. Um, and it kind of goes with what I said at the beginning. It pairs with it. Um, you know, I said I admired it because it told a story I was aware of in an interesting way. What I also really admired about it was the last 20 or so minutes are commendable because of the tone they kept Mm -hmm. and going into this movie, I had a certain, you know, like you said, Oh, Anakin's going to become Darth Vader. We know that end point in this movie. If I remembered my geek trivia and Mm -hmm. having watched the movies a million times as a kid, I remembered a line from one of the characters discussing how these plans came to be in their possession. Yes. And for that to hold true, this movie had to end the way it did. Yep. And they carried through on it. And oh, I was absolutely. amazed as it started happening, I was like, huh. And they carried through on it. And I was like, that's awesome. Gutsy. Yeah. So, yes. Uh, I'm with you on the ending. I got a couple of things I can add to the mix of, li- of likes. Okay. Um, I think visually, and I may get some feedback on this. <laughs> visually, I think this is the best looking Star Wars movie we've ever had. Now, by that, I mean texture of the costumes, the, the, the CGI, even the, how good the CGI looked, the, uh, the, the environments, the production, the buildings. It just looked so lived in. And that's what I think people enjoyed about even the first original trilogy is it just the, the equipment seemed like it had been used a lot and the costumes looked like they'd been through the ringer and all. This film, to me, had the best look of any of the seven or eight films so far. Um, you know, and I, I said the same thing about Force Awakens. I thought it was a good-looking film. I think this film actually looks better visually. If I just look at it hmm. on the surface as a frame on the screen, I think it's a great-looking film. Um, and I think the action sequence, the last 30 minutes, probably some of the best Star Wars action sequences we've seen. Mixing people fighting with blasters and mixing uh, space battle. I thought it was done really well. I mean, yeah. yes. Was it a lot like return of the Jedi kind of the flipping between jungle type forest environment and space? Yeah. But I liked it because I liked that in return of the Jedi too. So I was cool. Sure. With so action wise, I love the last 30 minutes. I think the action is absolutely great. It's to the point where when I was going to see it the second time, I kind of told my kids on the way in, which is one of my dislikes, the first half really slow. I thought I had a hard time connecting for a while in that first half. The first time I saw it gave my kids a heads up. I'm like, listen, stick with it, stick with the first half. But when we got to the point where they actually landed on the planet and they're going to go, go take on their mission. I'm like nudging my boys on both sides. I'm like, okay, here's where things get really awesome. Hmm. And it was, I think that last 30 minutes is awesome. I do like the integration that they had with the main star Wars storyline. Some people online are complaining about all the callbacks and all the references. I'm like, I love it. I think it's good. I want some of those. I mean, everybody's groaning about there's a line midway through the film that the robot, the Android uses. And it's that a he very, originally said something else well, and they've replaced it with a new line that they? has an absolute callback. Yes. Well, and that yeah, line okay. wasn't there. And I can understand people saying, Oh, it's just referencing other characters saying that line in other films. Yeah, it is. But you know what? In this Star Wars universe, 
That is like the phrase that I feel like I need to hear every once Jeez. in a while, and I'm okay with it. I then think go watch the like, movie that it's in. <laughs> what's, what's wrong with one line? And even the line, he doesn't even get to finish it. He gets it cut off by the person he's sitting next to, almost like a joke saying, yeah, yeah, hush. I don't want to hear that. I love it. I think it's fun. I think it was great. Audience reacted really well. I think it's a good, I, I like the little callbacks and references. I think those were cool. I think the characters were really interesting. Unfortunately, and how to phrase this without spoiling. Unfortunately, I hate that we don't get more time to develop them more. Because mm. there are a few of the characters I thought were really, really interesting. And I would like to have seen more of, but I won't. So, Well, that's what think. I like about the movie. So, I mean, I think uh, Donnie Yen playing, uh, is it Shirit? Um, blind. Yeah. Blind. I thought he was really interesting. I wanted to know more about him and, uh, and his partnership with his, his friend, uh, Baze Malbus. I'd love to know a little bit more about that partnership and how those two became kind of uh, partners in crime and kind of what their backstory is. Again, I'd love to flesh that out more. And I know the movie had a lot to do in two hour running time. So I didn't expect them to flesh it out there, but I like the characters themselves. I would have liked to have had more time with them, I guess in a way. Well, the callbacks in this film are what killed it, killed a lot really? of it for me. Yeah, that was your Speci- dislike specifically. Yeah, I've got, I basically got two major dislikes with okay. the film. All right. I liked it overall, but you said CGI, and granted, you weren't talking about what I'm about to just rail. Oh on. no, no, I know trigger. It's a dislike of it's mine. whatever. I think the yeah. internet's just blown sure. up about. Absolutely, and I totally am on the same page. And it's not the fact that it was used. CGI to do facial mapping on a character, Tarkin. I'll just get yep. you. Know, he's in the. That was a complete disaster. I, I could not focus on what that character said anytime Completely he agree. was on screen yep. because it was so distracting. Yes. Now, having the character, you know, he's, he's a character that's been in some of the other films. I think the first. A New Hope. I don't know yeah. if he's in Empire Strikes Back or not. No, because he was on the Death Star when the Death Star okay. blew up. Okay, yeah, so, so he's on. He was gone. He, it was okay. New Hope was the only film he was in. So he, he had a small cameo in Return, Revenge of the Sith, Episode 3. At the very end, somebody looking like Tarkin, <laughs> it's not him. Of course, the actor, it wasn't him. It wasn't a CG effort. It was somebody made up to look like a younger version of him, walks up to Darth Vader and at the on the bridge in the last shot. So he technically Why? had a cameo there. Why didn't they just cast somebody that looked like him? Because the thing is, that's my, that was my biggest beef with this film. Yeah. And unfortunately, that happens pretty early on. And then every time he came out, it was like a record scratch. I could not get past it. It was so irritating. And at first, you sh- they show him from the back, and you see kind of a reflection. You're like, shadows. And oh, cool. Yeah. That's that guy. I know it's that guy. I know the real actor's dead. So, you know, but cool. They're using him. It makes sense he's in this film. But they just couldn't let a good thing go. And instead of shooting it creatively or interestingly, or apparently like they did in Revenge of the Sith, I blocked that movie out. They just yeah. demand He's in like giving, five or six. giving them a ton of lines. Yeah. Not only that, I am sorry. Ben Mendelsohn should get a Best Supporting Actor for having to deal with that. <laughs> because it was so, like, how dare you put him in this movie and make yeah. him second fiddle to a CGI character that he can't even play off wow. of. Just good shows point. you how good he is that he can he can do that. I, I was so frustrated with that. It just, it bothered me. So that that's not a cameo, but that callback and the... You're so I don't even way consider of, that a callback. That was a, no, he's that was a true story. production decision they made and, oh. on how they're going to present that. They could have gotten somebody who looked a lot like because, him slightly, you know, 
a version of Tarkin. I don't think anybody would have minded that the one in Rogue One, if you were to watch that in Episode Four back to back, that the characters look a little different. I don't think anybody's going to be bothered yeah, by these, that. Yeah, and the thing I is, agree with you. The uncanny valley of the <sighs> dead-eyed just like it's Polar still Express not there stuck still in not the middle of Star- oh, it's terrible. Um, and they found somebody to be Mon Mothma. Yeah. The, you know, rebel yeah. watch. They found somebody for her. Like, how hard can? And well, you don't even have to make it perfect. You just throw his name exactly. out there, it and everybody be like, be perfect. "Oh, that's who it this doesn't is. have to be perfect." The that's costume the will be perfect, and then Mon if his Mothra, face isn't there, yeah. If you really look at the two films side by side, yeah, you can tell some differences between them. But when you're watching the movie, it just this is who this is. And obviously, she's got the shorter hair. She's right. got the same kind of gown thing on and stuff. Yeah. You know who it is. <sighs> if we saw somebody dressed in black on the on the bridge of the Death Star. And they call him uh, General Tarkin or Admiral Tarkin. We know who that is. You do right. not need to like CGI his face on him to make him look that way. I agree with you. Now, I'll say it was bugging me. Uh, nowhere near as much as the last shot bugged me. It actually, I actually got an eye roll like out of that one. Oh, that was an eye roll for me. Me too. Really I was already fed up with Tarkin. And yeah. there's a character who makes, a, not a cameo, but an appearance. And they do CGI mapping for her as well. Same type thing. Could have just shown from the back, yep. implied, but no, they have to ram it home and use CGI really face bad. mapping, and it bothered me so no, much. I agree. I, that was one of my big dislikes as well. So I'm with um, you on that. Other dislike mm-hmm. were tossing in of cameos. There's, you know, apparently every Star Wars movie is going to have to have the Stan Lee version, which Stan Lee in the Star Wars movies is R2D2 and C3PO. I am so sick of them. They have become Jar Jar Binks. I cannot stand them. They were in this movie, and I was like, seriously? Really? They're not even integrated. At least in Force Awakens, they were kind of written into the plot, so to speak. But this is just like they're thrown in there just to be irritating. It's as dumb as having that robot say the line that makes no sense just so fans can cheer. Dumb. Can't stand it. You and I are are on opposite ends on that. What's even? And then like another one that maybe was... They take some characters out of the cantina yeah. and throw them in there. And that that's maybe, but like, take them out of the cantina, but don't have them utter the same freaking line. Like, how? Like, just show them and expect, you're just like, you see the moving going public is so stupid that they can't pick up on what this is unless you have them say the same line. Oh, that's who that is. Like, come on. Come on. Um, for the record, I thought it was okay. <laughs> so I had no problem with it. And last I part, actually was worried they were going to go worse with the callbacks. And I actually was pretty, I was pleased with the few amount that they had. There's a lot of places if they really wanted to be creative with it, they could have pulled a lot more connections. Well, be in. creative I with it. Like they I did. just felt like they were lazy. I just, I, I felt like they kept it in check. If you want to give Gareth Edwards some credit, I got a feeling that he probably, if I'm, if I'm guessing correctly, when I heard that there were reshoots going on or other things to add in the film, I could very easily imagine that there were probably very few, if any, callbacks to the other films, but a lot of them might have gotten added after the fact just to make it a more Star Wars. And we movie. may or may never know the callbacks. Yeah. One other thing, you know, cameos, those killed it. The CGI thing, that killed it. Or not killed the movie, but really just, you know, the ranking started. Yeah, the enthusiasm level, the eye rolling, the groaning, they just were ramping up during yeah. those parts. You mentioned the reshoots. And, you know, I was going along with the movie, not even thinking about it, but there's a part in that last 20 minutes, which are last 20, 30 minutes that are, I like the last 20, 30 minutes, but there's an instance where if I had to guess Mm -hmm. if something was reshot, I would say it was the following going to dance around specifics here, but 
For example, do you know how in Nightmare on Elm Street movies or um, Friday the 13th movies, Jason or Freddy, they are thought to be dead? Yes. And then suddenly they come back and try to kill the hero one more time. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's an instance in the last 20 or 30 minutes of this movie where someone is, uh, you think, dead. And then they come back and instead of trying to kill the hero, they help the hero. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, and then they're with, they're with the hero until the end of the movie. And I feel like I'm skirting around stuff here, Mm -hmm. specifics. Yeah. But I feel like they did that to make it more of a banding together. Like if you could call it hopeful, (laughs) but I I feel like he, the person should have remained dead. Um, I, I, never, I, feel I, never, like I feel like that's a reason. I never thing. thought for a second who that, that individual was dead the hmm. first time we saw them um, hmm. get injured or hurt, whatever. I, I never thought for a second they were dead. Hmm. So I, uh, I, I think that was a, that whole bring that person back was to bridge the gap of the fact that these two had some differing opinions earlier in the film and now they have worked yeah. together. So. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you that it was a reshoot situation. I mean, but, I don't. And we don't know. If it, yeah, There's no telling. I don't know. Uh, I'll say a couple more things. I did have a, a few dislikes. I think I mentioned a little bit already. Um, just the first half, a lot of planet hopping, a lot of. It took me the second time I saw the movie to really appreciate the first half of mm-hmm. the film. Okay. Okay, because it just seemed like a lot of planets flying at you, a lot of landing of ships in different places for a while, and I started having a little bit of flashbacks to the George Lucas prequels. Like, oh my God, you're flying us to like eight different planets and all we're seeing are ships take off and land again. And there's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of stuff, but it all worked. It's just, it took me that second time to really appreciate the first half. Um, I'm still trying to wrestle with Jen Urso's change of heart halfway through the movie. She goes from one character that has a very determined attitude towards the Rebel Alliance and towards what's going on. And then after getting a message from her father, it's a complete 180. And I felt like it was very abrupt. I'm still kind of wrestling with what exactly caused her to have that 180. Um, hmm. Other than the film needed her to now be the hero and to go after it. But you know, <laughs> otherwise, her going from, I don't want any part of this. This is stupid. This is suicide. Just tell me the one thing I need to do. You'll let me free. And then she gets a message from her strange father that everybody's still judging whether or not it's a trap or not or real, but yet she's now gung ho. We're rebels. We are built on hope and let's go do this type of thing. It was a little jarring for me, that personality shift about midway through the movie. Hmm. Um, okay. I didn't suffer from that. Yeah. Interestingly, the oh. CG of the two characters that we talked about. Yes, that was absolutely a bad move. And you know, it just, I liked the movie. I liked it a lot. I will say I do not like it as much as the original trilogy. And okay. I did not enjoy it as much as the force awakens. Okay. So on my scale, just so you know, sure. it's Empire Strikes Back, sure. Return of the Jedi, Star Wars, Force Awakens, mm. Rogue One, then prequels. Go several layers down deeper, and then there's <laughs> um, Phantom Menace, Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones. That's my that's my eight. So this is in the middle, but there's a big gap between the top films and the bottom films. So it's up in the top gap, obviously. I just I think the reason it kept me from enjoying as much as the Fourth Force Awakens is just it's a Star Wars movie, but it was the least charming, least enjoyable. And I'm not saying enjoying from I am enjoying this as an action film, or it's not enjoying it as much of a Star Wars film as as 
Force Awakens really played up to last year. And like the original trilogy does for me in general. But again, that just brings it down a little bit. And I think the CGI characters really kind of ticked me off. But, you know, it's still, it's right up there in those top four. And all four of those, I think, are fun, great films. So it's it's in the mix. It's there with those, those other four. Well, the thing that makes me like this film better than Force Awakens, maybe. I need to see it a second time. Okay. Because um, I've only seen it once. You know, saying Empire Strikes Back, then, you know, maybe Rogue One and then Force Awakens and then the other ones. The big crit- critical thing that you and I were of Force Awakens when we discussed it last year mm-hmm. was we both liked it. Yeah. But we felt like sometimes there were too many callbacks when the story could be moving forward because they're telling us new information. Does that make yeah. sense? Episode seven is not any, this movie had an excuse Sure. To be referential it's because it's, anything forward. it's wedging in between yeah. two sets of three movies. So if it calls back and references forward, it's it's like, OK. Yeah. But in Force Awakens, it was like, OK, here's your chance yeah. to throw new storylines, invent new stuff. And what you end up doing is having the Death Star come back into play. Right. And that and was like, my, really? you're right. You know, <laughs> I don't consider it a callback. It was just a let's rehash. Right. Plot lines from the first movie. That being said, yeah. still liked Force Awakens. Yeah. And I'm hoping that that was just a chance to win fans that were disgusted with I the prequels think so. I think back so. over and that Ryan Johnson totally runs away and does something crazy. With I think that's what's going to happen with episode yeah. eight personally, but I hope, be, so. I hope that's the case. Um, so, you know, the thing is, I enjoyed the film. I liked it. Um, I did not enjoy it as much as Force Awakens. And I do have a few little misgivings with it. Uh, overall, just it just didn't have the charm for me that some of the other films did, but that's okay. I'm not saying it's a, not a good film. It's a great film. Sure. It's just, it did, it did not rise as high on the tide of other Star Wars films because of that for me. I will say, to me, best Darth Vader scene ever at the very end of the film. The very end of the, the film. The very end. Him in the uh, hallway oh, yeah. with some rebel soldiers. Yes. yes. To me, if you think about it, in the original trilogy, Darth Vader had to be Definitely more lumbersome. Yeah, just because the costume, costume and, and just we didn't have the CGI, we didn't have the, the the effects we could do. Right. So we've never really seen Darth Vader cut loose. I mean, I'm talking like really <laughs> be the danger that people know him to be. Right. That little one minute scene towards the end of the movie with him. Uh, I, even if I did not like Rogue One the first time I saw it, I would still have paid admission and taken my boys <laughs> just to be able to see that last scene again. So okay. It was really good. So, are we good? Yes. So, we both like it. Yes. You like it quite a bit, but mm-hmm. you have some major misgivings. I like it pretty good, pretty put it, much. Put it this way. This would be a five-star film if it weren't for the CGI monstrosities. Wow. I, I like, I mean, I really CGI, like... And the callbacks. You didn't like the, the callbacks. Well, the callbacks, like, I could almost forgive and kind of move past those because there were other aspects yeah. that I really liked, especially the tone and the last two minutes. So... It would have probably, or a four and a half star out of five, you know, if it hadn't have been four. I'm probably hovering in the four star range. I mean, I did enjoy it, but that one star, the CGI, the slower first half, the, um, just, uh, and, and Jen or so, I wish I could have connected with her more as a character and understood what caused her to change her emotions. Like she did Hmm. those things brought it down a good star or so for me as well. So, all right. So that's Rogue One. That's uh, still playing. I'm sure it'll probably be playing until January 2018 <laughs> in the theaters. Right. Or until the next Star Wars until movie the comes episode out. episode eight comes out. Yeah. Uh, but it was a nice uh, kind of wet your appetite, keep you in the Star Wars frame of mind. 
I like this whole having a movie every year. I think this is kind of cool. They keep this up in December. It's a nice tradition to kind of have of, it'll, hey, it's time to go see a new Star Wars movie. It's December. It'll know? be interesting to see with the whole marvelization and what they're doing with comic book movies, then what Harry Potter is doing with their, where they're, you know, just really franchising and start turning them out in the machine and what DC's done with justice league. Can the star Wars movies somehow not become so boring and overdone, which I guess if they just keep to one a year, as opposed to a couple in the franchise, because Marvel releases a couple every year, then maybe so. Well, you know what the secret is to keeping any good franchise going. Merchandising. Well, that <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wonder if Johnny Depp has a role in episode eight. Oh. Is he going to be a new character they introduce? Oh, blow. So, I'm just saying, you know. <laughs> yeah. Johnny Depp is now considered franchise magic, believe it or not. So I don't right. know if I buy that, but that seems to be where he is. <laughs> okay, so that's Rogue One. All right, and let's go ahead and move into a film on the complete opposite end of the, of the spectrum. This is a film, a uh, foreign language film, coming to us from what country, Chris? Sweden. Sweden. There yes. you're right. It is A Man Called Ove. <laughs> Uve, an ill-tempered, isolated retiree, spends his days enforcing codes in his little neighborhood and visiting his wife's grave. And he's kind of given up on life until he develops a friendship with some new neighbors who move in next door. Of course, he continues to be cantankerous. Um, This is billed as a comedy slash drama. It is, as you mentioned in your little intro, Alan, it is from Sweden. Uh, Dramas translate pretty well across uh, languages, I feel like. Um, They just do. You know, it's not it's if it's a good story, it's a good story. You can read subtitles. You're fine. Humor. Humor and laughs and stuff sometimes doesn't translate across the pond as well. Good point. Uh, I'm a big fan of Monty Python, but a lot of people say, you know what? I don't really get the whole British humor thing. It. Not yeah. my bag. I don't, you know, just don't do it. And then, you know, other movies, you know, there have been different movies that have come across that have been subtitled comedies, and they don't usually fare as well. Mm-hmm. So in this film, Alan, how did you feel like it fa- fared as a comedy and as a drama? Did it work? Better as a comedy, better as a drama, or was it a nice mashup of both? And did it being subtitled or be from another country, did you think it maybe detracted in those categories? Um, well, I, I have a hard time relating to this as a comedy. Okay. I do deem it as a drama with some comedic elements to it. Okay. Um, I thought the comedy worked fine. It's always tough when you're reading the dialogue as opposed to hearing it naturally through the person's voice. But, of course, as you're reading subtitles, you're always like a half a second or a second behind kind of where the impact is in the film or just not – you're not able to always connect the way the person's saying it with the lines they're saying because you're hearing it and then you're reading it and you're trying to piece them together. Sure. But despite all that, I thought the moments of humor in this film were were funny. There's actually one scene in particular, a a, kind of a – a flashback scene having to do with makes of cars. Yes. That I thought was hilarious. And I still think it's a really, really funny scene. If I had to think about my funniest scenes for the year, it would be somewhere in that conversation. I think that was a hilarious moment. (laughs) Um, 
But you know, this is a film that's dealing with death. It's yeah. dealing with suicide. suicide. It's dealing with some heavy, heavy topics. And so, you know, to say it's a comedy, no, it's not a comedy. It is a drama that just has enough light touches and comedic elements to keep it from getting too oppressing and too dark and too depressing. I like the film. I think some of the things that I didn't like about it, though, may be more of trappings of the book it's adapted from than the movie itself. Okay. But I do like the fact this film uh, kind of takes place in two times. We have the present day, which is probably two-thirds of the film. Mm-hmm. And then we've got all the flashbacks to Ove as a younger man. I thought all of the flashback scenes were wonderful. Actually, to the point where it got to a point where I kind of wanted them to keep flashing back because I liked the younger actor playing Ove and I liked his wife hmm. so much and enjoyed their interactions and enjoyed their stories that I kind of wanted more of that as we get into the film more. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I didn't enjoy the present day stuff. It's just the present day situation with Ove and he's, you know, he, he, he's single now and he is in this community where he's kind of a, he's a jerk. Well, he's a jerk. He, and, and, and you worry that this film is going to fall into the trap of old curmudgeon. Grumpy old all man. of a sudden becomes, has a big heart at the end. Right. And, that is kind of the movie, but it does a good job of not falling into the cliche. Absolutely. Um, there's only one big cliche with this movie that I absolutely just cannot stand. And it, to me, it was the eye roll moment for me watching this film. Really? The subplot with the nursing home, the white coats who are trying to take away his friend. To me, it was so overplayed that this guy is the villain and this guy is a bad guy. And it's almost, he's almost twirling his mustache in every scene that, that subplot almost took me out of the film to say, you know what? You're doing such a good job of making this very grounded. But then every time this guy pulls up in a car and he's snarky and he's demeaning to everybody and he's obviously something's bad about him. It was just so over the top obvious that that may have played better in a book than it did in the film. But I think they overplayed that character and that subplot so much. They, that really bothered me. I can. It didn't bother me as much as it bothered you, but I can see that criticism. Um, and maybe he was a little heavy handed. I think they were trying to go for in a very serious thing. They were trying to maybe add a little comedy where they shouldn't have. Yes. We um, had enough comedy everywhere else. We right. didn't need the villain. But to I be will over say um, it's n- that character and even, I don't know, maybe some of the way it was portrayed, even though you didn't like it necessary because Uwe, his whole life, something that has informed him is, you know, government or somebody telling him what to do. Yeah. Okay. And that informs him in, in, you know, through his life. However, interestingly enough, when he gets in this neighborhood, he then becomes the person that is yep. telling everybody what to do mm-hmm. and you know doesn't care what people think about. So he becomes as bad as the people that he hates. Yes. You're but right. then what happens is he sees an instance where there's a government official coming in and he kind of, you know, so if my, there my had to been if there had to been that through line, then I I would be a little harsher on it like yeah. you. But I understand your criticism. No, I'm just saying that you could have had that character still be a bad person, right? And ultimately, you find out that he's a bad person, right? 
it's just the every time he shows up, he has to kind of get in Uve's face and make little snide comments and kind of just be real snarky Which about he has everything. reasons for that, too, because there's things that Uve has done, written letters and all this kind of stuff to governmental officers, and he's aware of this. But so he's he, being that way with everybody, not just Uve. He's just being a jerk, and he's being a self-righteous, pompous guy. Hmm. And it's just I just think it was too overplayed. I think you could have downplayed that character and had him be playing the role he's playing. And you come to find out that, yes, he is a bad person. And here's the reason why. And he gets some comeuppance. That's great. Right. But I just thought it was way too, it was way too sitcom-y hmm. the way it was handled. And even like his comeuppance scene, everybody in the community kind of coming out of the house at one time. Right. And it was just that the eyes were rolling for me. It was like, okay. You guys were doing so good with this movie, making it so grounded and so fun, to, so enjoyable to watch. And then this was just so over the top. So that's my main big takeaway, my big dislike from it. Um, but I will say, I, I, I really thought all the flashback scenes were beautiful. They were great. When I liked um, how they, they wove them into it wasn't just like a guy sitting in a diner and suddenly it cuts to a flashback. Right. They would have them two things. I'll, it's a double compliment. Um, for a movie that deals about suicide, but is and has several suicide attempts in it, yeah, they never make too much light out of it. Like they keep, you know, they don't have a bunch of funny music, or they don't make it's not held too much for a joke. It is tense when the suicides happen, and often those are kind of the key. Is the person maybe attempting suicide, and his mind starts to wander. Those are when the flashbacks key in. Yeah. And I thought that was really cleverly oh, they were very done and done. very well done. And yeah. the movie, too, I was not expecting it to be as uh, cinematic and have some really cool s- cinematography touches. Like at one point, he's looking out a window and he's in a certain time and then the camera starts to pan over and he sees th- the same room years ago flashing yeah. back. And he's like looking, he's standing in a flashback mm. looking at himself like... Just little things like well, that. See, it was Very all, it was all well the things that had to do with the flashbacks were what were really interesting. I thought, you know, all the present day stuff was I thought fairly pedestrian, fairly standard shot shots, and uh, the way the pacing was done. But once it started to go into a flashback, and even the transitions into the flashback were extremely well done. Some of the most interesting shots I thought were during the flashback scenes. There was one I thought was just was interesting. The, uh, Ove is attending his mother's funeral. This yes. is early in the film as a young mm-hmm. child, and they're standing outside the church looking, and you're basically seeing a wedding progress and go into one end of the church, and then you pan over the other side, and they're wheeling out a coffin. And, and it's like, you know, little touches like that that happen in the flashback scenes I thought were really, really well done. And there's, there's, yeah, and there's humor there, and I feel like this is kind of a Nordic sense of humor yeah. where it's a lot of times really dark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yeah, touches like that were really yeah. cool. Um, there was a, a shot, a shot where a house is burned down and you kind of get this overhead view of Ove kind of standing in the ruins a little bit. Just some really interesting mm-hmm. framing and shots during those flashback scenes. And again, I thought the acting was great. I really liked the guy who's playing the younger version of Ove. He was so good. He was really good. And what struck me too was <laughs> there again, don't have to do this. Didn't have to use CGI to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Rogue One. Yep. But the two characters playing Uve at the two different times in his life, they looked, they looked a like lot 
alike. Yep. And it was just facial matching and, you know, kind of how they did the hair and stuff. But And even their mannerisms. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether, like, the younger guy said, here's what I'm going to do, and the older guy agreed, or whether the younger guy watched some of the scenes with the older guy and said, okay, I'm going to carry that over. But just really well, so much to the fact where I would have thought – they were actually like grandfather and grandson yeah. or something. I actually looked them be. up to see if they were related or not. <laughs> I thought, you know, I wonder if these guys are related because they really they know how to, so... how to be in sync with each other. That's what kept me in the film is I felt like okay. I'm, it, it's, a, it's a cliche type of story to say, let's learn more about somebody who's now a cranky person <laughs> to find out why they're cranky. That's a pretty common trope in films. You've got the old person and you find out they actually had this like backstory and they there's a reason why they're this way now. Right. This was the most effective telling of that type of story I think I've seen and that you totally get it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> By the end of the film, it's like, I totally get this character. I get why he is the way he is. I get the way he feels the way he does. I get the way he acts the way he does. I mean, some of it you get the pr- impression that – it was a little bit of a, you know, whether it's a personality thing that he's born with, you kind of felt like there's a little bit, I mean, I don't know if it was some Asperger's, if it was some other things that just, you kind of felt like it was already kind of there. And then his situations and his life experiences really just kept building on it. And right. it's just, I totally felt it. I mean, I really did. So. Something, I like a lot of the clever stuff that's done in the flashbacks, something that was I feel like that was clever. Don't know if it's in the book or not. Um, a lot of the audience that I saw this with had read the book and said that it was a very faithful adaptation. They said one of the things that unfortunately the movie couldn't do is bring even more of the humor of the book because mm. apparently he says a lot of really funny things and a lot of yeah. his men are very detailed and he's very specific and that comes across even more so in the book and adds a lot of humor. But one of the details that I really liked that was in the present because we've mm-hmm. mentioned a lot of the flashback things is when he goes to see his wife. I'm mm-hmm. not going to give anything away about some of the other parts of the movie, but when he goes to see his wife, it's right near a railroad track. Mm-hmm. And he has to wait for the train to pass before he crosses into the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Didn't really, I kind of thought about the first, but the second time in the movie, after having seen it once, I was like, that's a, that's yep. a great touch. Well, I just, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, uh, I had, I had some parts of the present day storyline that I didn't care for. And again, my, the subplot with the nursing home, I just thought was way overplayed. Hmm. And, you know, there are a few other like little things, uh, which, again, I think probably worked better in the book when you had a little more time to flesh them out. Sure. The, you know, p- past students of his wife all of a sudden kind of showing up and then, oh, hey, can they stay with you? Even though they just met him one time before. It's right. some little things I know they needed to do to kind of move, move the, the story along. Forward, sure. I, and in a book, you've got more time to explore that and it seems more natural. It does seem a little forced in a few spots in the present day. But again, I, I just think all the scenes of the of the backstory, all the scenes of the flashbacks were just so well done that it made me appreciate the present day story more because of that. So, sure. Yeah. That is a great film. Um, really enjoyed it. Liked it more than I, I thought I would. Again, the scene having to do with sobs and Volvos, I think, is <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. Um, and see, that's, that's an example of humor. Do I really care what kind of car I drive? No. Do I really care what kind of car other people drive? No, yeah. but that kind of humor <laughs> carrying over, like I thought it was, I thought that was that I liked that whole, and it, it was a thread that there was even something in the modern day when yeah. somebody rear ears where he's like, eh, he's really dismissive. He's like, it doesn't matter because of the car, what that other car was, yeah. and like, yeah, just that kind of humor being able to carry over through this movie. I I thought it was funny, and it was a running gag. So a BMW, that was that was that was what <laughs> broke it right there. <laughs> 
uh, one last thing I want to ask you, Alan. Um, So every year, countries put up their nominee Mm -hmm. for uh, Best Foreign Film for the Oscars, which are coming up. Um, Supposedly, this is Sweden's entry. And, you know, they they haven't announced like a short list or like, of course, the top five yet for the but do you are you glad that this has been nominated for best for or could be nominated for best for? Well, I'm definitely glad it's their submission. Unfortunately, okay. I don't feel like it's going to be in the top five. I, it'd be nice if it was. Sure. Um, I just don't feel like it will, mainly because I think it's a. Even though we're seeing some real depth to it and seeing some things we really like, I mean, I think it still is a, it's an adaptation of a famous of a popular book, right? And it's still a overall happy. Fairly straightforward if you think about the plot from a bird's eye view. Fairly pedestrian standard film. It's just I think you and I appreciate it more in that you take a standard story and you just give it a lot more depth and make it a lot more interesting and give us some visual elements that are really interesting. And it just carried the whole film. Yeah, I've seen – I agree. And going into this film, I was worried that it was going to be – grumpy old men yeah. or it was going to be the recent movie with bill murray which he was the only good thing about it saint vincent mm-hmm. and yeah it's like curmudgeon who's a curmudgeon and change of heart into film this was that but it had so much more going on yeah. that it was worth i, I would definitely I, I wholeheartedly recommend people check it out i'm happy to hear you're on the same page with this too so this is a film that could have gone either way for people i think if you go in and you're not you're not open to just, you know, the story itself. I mean, you could really pick holes in this thing. I mean, I started to pick some holes into it myself, but they weren't enough to make me say that I didn't really like this film. So I just think there was a couple choices they made that if they had made a different choice, I could honestly probably walk away just loving this film and just singing its praises to the rooftop as it is. I'm saying it's really, really good. And I like it a lot. So, okay. Okay. So that is a man called, did you call him Uwe? Uve. Uve. Okay. We'll go with Uve. Man <laughs> called Uve. Um, as of the time of this recording, it is available for watching on iTunes, but I think it's purchase only. It does come out for rent December 27th. So if this, this podcast comes out after the 27th, you can actually rent it online on iTunes, which would be great. So, uh, or Amazon or anywhere else. So I do recommend, Chris and I both recommend you do check that out. Okay. Let's take a quick break. We come back, we're going to do some news items, and then we'll end up the show with our recommendations of the episode. So stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on themesh.tv. Themesh.tv is a podcast network. That is what you're listening to. This is called a podcast. (laughs) If you have not heard that word before, don't worry about it. It's not anything you need to stress about. You don't need an iPod to listen to a podcast, even though they share some of the same letters. Podcast is simply an audio or video program that is coming out on some sort of regular basis that you can subscribe to. It's almost like a DVR or a cable box recorder for online internet content. That's the way to think about it. New episodes come out. You get a new episode delivered to you as soon as it's ready. So... What we recommend you do is if you have even the slightest bit of enjoyment listening to us talk and our broadcast quality voices. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, 
But if you like what you're hearing or want to kind of stay connected with us, subscribe to the show. You can do that several ways. You can go to iTunes on the podcast store, find our show and hit the subscribe button. By doing so, that means every time we put out a new episode, it will be downloaded to your device that you use to listen or watch these. You can also do so so through uh, Android. I don't exactly know how because I've never done it myself, but I know there's a way to do it. You can also just go to our website and just watch it on the website or listen there. If you don't feel like doing the whole subscribing thing, just go to uh, themesh.tv, www.themesh.tv. Look for Foot Candle Films on the list of shows, and you will see a player right there on the webpage where you can just hit the play button and listen to any episode that we have on the scrolling list of episodes. So that's how you can take part in this. And we'll give you some notes at the end of the show about how you can get a hold of us. If you want to dialogue with us for anything. And let me just mention real quick. I know we sometimes do this at the end of the show, but I really want to make sure everybody hears this and Chris, I may be stealing your thunder, but Uh-oh. I was just going to mention that we do have our next film festival coming up September, 2017 and submissions are now open yes. for that film festival. We opened them in November. We will keep them open until, Oh, wow. About uh, May, May-ish. I think. Yeah. That's, so got the, a late, that's the late deadline. You I got think. a lot of time, but the sooner Maybe. the better, the actual submission fee goes down, uh, is lower and then gets higher as you go right. along. So you want to get in sooner. We'd really like to have any independent filmmakers who have finished a film in the last year or so wants to submit it. We'd love to see it. We'd love to consider it for our festival. Uh, we had a, a few hundred submissions last year. We're looking for probably even more this year. And we'll get down to about 20, 25, 30 films that we'll show over the course of a weekend in late September. That is September 22nd through the 24th, a full three-day film festival here in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina, located in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, It's a great place, and and, uh, we hope you will come and plan on joining us next September. Okay, so Chris, let's go on to some other movie-related news, but ones okay. that don't involve us. This is a part of the show where you know, Chris and I both have some headlines that we think are interesting and worth talking about, whether it's directors we like to follow and see what their next projects are or interesting projects in general we're hearing about, or in the case of my last one, a kind of an interesting philosophical question for Mr. Fry. I'm very excited about posing. Okay. But Chris, let me just start it off with just a couple of films that are from directors that we are either big fans of or are becoming fans of as we go along. Okay. So a trailer was released just this week for a certain little film called Blade Runner 2049. Ah, yes. This is a sequel to a film called Blade Runner. Oh. Without the year See what they did there. Yeah. (laughs) So it's 2049. It stars a Mr. Ryan Gosling. And it also stars a Mr. Harrison Ford, tying back to Rogue One, Star Wars world in some degree. Mm-hmm. Of course, Harrison Ford was the star of the original back in the 80s, and that was a Ridley Scott film. Right. Ridley Scott is producing this film, but the director is a Mr. You, you do it. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve, who we last saw with Arrival. Right. We saw with Enemy. We saw with uh, Prisoners. Mm-hmm. We saw with uh, Sicario. Right. He is a director that you and I are both really finding ourselves enjoying right now. We liked Arrival. We liked all of his other films. We're interested to see what he does next. Did you watch the trailer? I did. And how do you feel? Uh, the only thing I don't like is the title. But outside yeah. of that. But, the title like, sounds like a video game title. But, <laughs> right, yeah. 2049. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. I can get over that. Um, I liked everything I saw. It really, truly trailer. was a 
teaser and that oh, yeah. there really wasn't a lot there. And I would be happy not seeing yeah. an official trailer for this movie. Um, I see just enough to see, like, as if I didn't know already, Harrison Ford's in it. Cool, but I knew that already. But just the style, it looks like all the styles there. It looks great. It's not over the top. Like, I, I don't know. It just, it looks exactly like what I was expecting. I can't wait to see it. Well, and it, it, all I think we get from this is Deckard is still in the is still alive. Mm-hmm. And a younger, younger cop is now trying to find him. Right. That's basically all we get from this trailer. And I'm with you. That's fine if that's all I really know going into the movie either. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Gosling, curious to see how he fits in this world. Um, you know, he's a good actor. Oh, I mean, yeah. so I, I think he can, he can carry it. And of course, Harrison Ford was great in Force Awakens. So I'm happy to see him in another kind of a throwback to another character of his. So should be very interesting. I know there's a lot of buzz when that trailer came out. So should, I've got to fire up my copy of Blade Runner again at some point and watch it. It's been a really long time since I've seen yeah, it. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time. But I, yeah, I should, would like to check that out again. Absolutely. So, Well, another director that we're both fans of, we have been fans of for quite a while. So it's not like Mr. Delvenue where we're kind of getting to where we're really liking him now and following him. This is Mr. Wes Anderson. We've been uh, following for all the way back since Rushmore. He has been a topic of a lot of our conversations on this here podcast. True. Not only reviewing his films, but even just talking about his choices as a filmmaker. Right. I was the one who notoriously said, I want him to do something vastly different. And then he did the Grand Budapest Hotel, which was not vastly different, but it was very, very good. And mm-hmm. I'm like, all right, forget it, whatever. Keep doing what he wants to do. He's fine. <laughs> well, he did do Fantastic Mr. Fox, which was different. Which, well, stop the only difference was it was stop motion animation. It was still <laughs> a Wes Anderson film. Oh, true oh, yeah. and true. All of his films are still very, very, very similar in style and tone and everything. Right. It's just the medium he shows them in is now a little different. Sure. But we do have a new film that he has announced that they are working on and uh, is Isle of Dogs. And it is another stop motion animation film. So he's going back to that that process. Um, The cast of characters on this is what's killing me because it's. Basically, let's take every possible actor or actress that Wes Anderson's ever worked with and put him into a film again. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm just going to run through these really quick. Brian Cranston's a new name. He is. So that's cool. He's new. Beyond that, though, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Scarlett Johansson, she's new. She's not been in a... Uh, okay. I don't think she's been in an Anderson film okay. yet. Okay. Uh, F. Murray Abraham, Tilda Swinton, Harvey Keitel, uh, Yoko Ono. She's new. She's new. <laughs> Greta Gerwig. Greta Gerwig is new also, right? I think so. Yeah. She's worked with Noah Baumbach, but not who's friends yeah. with Wes Anderson or anything, but yeah. Uh, Frances McDormand. Okay. Maybe new. Bob Balaban, which has been in there before. And then Liv Schreiber, which I think is interesting. Okay. Um, so a kind of a mix of Did some, you mention Ed Norton? Oh, no, I didn't. Ed Norton. Well. Ed Norton's also in there as well. Yes. So a mix of some old standbys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we got some new names in there as well. Right. So, I, I don't even have to ask you if you're interested because I know you are, but well, anything you, you think interesting about this? If you're extremely interested and you love Wes Anderson and you have some money, maybe from holiday gifts you've gotten, like 10 you don't, bucks. Know, what, don't think, know what to spend it yeah. on, you can go to a website, crowdrise.com slash Wes Anderson, and you can put some money towards, they're raising money for a charity, I think the Film Foundation or something like that, that restores films, old films and keeps them in check so that they'll be around for generations to come. Charity started by Martin Scorsese. Anyways, Wes Anderson is like crowdfunding this charity through the film. But the thing is, if you contribute money through this website, 
they will you get a chance to be chosen to come over to England where they're doing all the filming production and voice one of the dogs, I guess. <laughs> mm. So, you know, if you have money to throw away and you think that might be fun, that's something. So I'm interested in the film. Can't wait to see another Wes Anderson movie. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all in. <laughs> awesome. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, uh, I think it sounds like fun. So I'm very excited to see what happens with it. I did like Fantastic Mr. Frox quite a bit. And, uh, so yeah, I'm all for it, especially with dogs. I like dogs. So it should be, uh, should be fun. I'm glad to see him do another, uh, stop motion too, because once you saw Fantastic Mr. Fox, yeah, it was like a typical Wes Anderson movie with tightly controlled sets and like certain aesthetic choices, but it was just so interesting to see him use another medium, you know, in film, but just, and so he, and he did such a good job and it was so enjoyable that I thought it would be a shame if he never went and tried it again. So I'm glad he's doing it. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, you had a news item for us, I believe. Yes. Uh-huh. So we reviewed Suicide Squad on this show. Uh-huh. Both of us were not favorable on it. No. But I will say that one of the better performances in the film was Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. Yeah. She was good. Well, they've announced that despite what you and I thought about it, <laughs> they've, they've greenlit a Suicide Squad spinoff slash sequel. Mm-hmm. It's going to be called Gotham City Sirens. And it will okay. be starring Miss Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn. It's also going to feature villains like Catwoman and Poison Ivy. Kind of like, I guess, they getting rid of some of the people from Suicide Squad and putting other bad guys. And it's going to be like a troop of bad guys. And uh, David Ayer is still going to be the director. Mm-hmm. So how do, you, how do you feel about that? Are you willing to David give, Ayer is going to be the director again? He is going to be the okay, director. Well, there's, there's the problem right there. Wow. I, I, just, I just don't think that that... I just don't think it worked for Suicide Squad. I don't think it was a problem with the concept. I don't think it was a problem with even the characters he had to work with. It just, it was just not a good movie. And, um, even though I liked the Harley Quinn character, Mm -hmm. I like the idea of her doing something more in a film. Right. It's all going to come down to the story and direction on this thing. Well, it is. Let me say for the record, I do not, I watched Fury, which was a movie David Ayer did before this. And while it wasn't perfect, I liked bits and pieces of it. Um, and I really liked a certain dinner table scene. And actually it's what I think the suicide squad bar scene could have been, Okay, <laughs> but it wasn't cause I think it was chopped up and not, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not willing to write him off. I'll give the suicide squads a spinoff a chance, probably because my daughter will make me go see it. Cause she really liked <laughs> suicide squad, mm-hmm. but also because his next film after he I think actually he's doing this one first and then he'll go and do the Suicide Squad spinoff. So I think he's actually already started on it is a film that's going to go straight to Netflix. Hmm. It's going to be a science fiction movie and it's going to have Will Smith in it. And it's going to be called Will Smith, Joel Edgerton and Numi Rapace. And it's going to be called Bright. Okay. You know, I'm on board with any science fiction thing. Yes. So I can't remember the dates, whether Gotham City Sirens comes out first or Bright or Bright, but whichever like, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm still going to give him at least two more chances just because of the subject matter. So. Okay. Well, I mean, and that's fine. I, maybe my concern is maybe not necessarily as him as a director. It's maybe him trying to do a studio film with a studio oversight. Right. That maybe, I don't know if that maybe was a conflict for them and that caused a lot of the issues they had or what. So I don't know. Right. Um, I, I, it's one of those things where I agree. I'm not, Suicide Squad was definitely a mess. I'm not interested in the film, <laughs> but if I start to hear that, hey, you know what? Maybe they got it right and they figured out the formula to make a good movie work, then okay. But right now, DC is still batting 
bumpkiss for me as far as these newer films. And I'm excited about Wonder Woman because I think it at least looks like it could be promising. But there again, I thought some of the other films looked really promising too. I thought Man of Steel looked really promising when I saw the previews. Right. So I don't know. Um, I'm interested in what Ben Affleck's doing with a solo Batman movie. But again, I have no idea. Like, because this studio just has not gotten it to click together yet. So I'll be very curious to see how the film comes together. Um, let me ask you a question, Chris. Okay, you here's called, the... I've got to put on my philosophy. Yeah, put on your time. thinking cap a bit. Okay. You know, we had a conversation years ago about when... Uh, which one was it? Was it Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Or what was the first one that came out of this new whole series? Oh, man. There's something Rise of the it Planet of the Rise, Apes. Rise, there's Dawn. The next yeah. one that's coming out is War, War. right? Okay. I think it was Rise, maybe. Rise okay. may have been the first one. Okay. And you remember the conversation we had about Andy Serkis... Mm-hmm. was playing Caesar, and it was a completely motion-captured performance. Yes. And we had a big conversation about whether or not that should be considered for Best Acting Awards, the whole motion capture. And if it is, is it the person that they that's acting the part, or do you give it to the animators for actually making the character come alive and all that? But it is something we're going to have to contend with. Unfortunately, as we said in Rogue One, we had a fully CGI-realized face, you know, being shown <sighs> Of a person who's passed away. Right. These things are going to happen. <laughs> They're right. going to happen with more frequency. So that's an issue, right? That's something we, I think we're going to have to contend with from a how do we recognize that craft and recognize that art going forward. I've got a different question, somewhat related there nowadays. Okay. The film Tower that yes. you and I showed at our film festival last year. Yes. Um, is now being played in a lot of different circuits and festivals now. and It's on the short list for It is on the short list doc. for best documentary. Mm-hmm. For the Oscars. Should it be on the short list for best animated film? Because one of the critics award list of nominated of animated films, this was featured on there. Then I'll ask you the question too. Is it truly a documentary? Yes. How so? Uh, it takes all the it. scenes. Almost all the scenes were recreated doesn't matter enacted okay doesn't matter so let's talk about your definition of documentary then so how how does that what what do you define as a documentary i define a documentary as a piece of filmmaking that explains an event in history or could just be you know either it tells about a person's life or tells about an event in history explains underwater basket weaving you know that that's a documentary um recreations don't matter to me. Man on Wire had tons of them all over okay. the place. All right. Um, and there was some controversy a little bit with Man on Wire about all the recreations that were used to. Yeah, if you make up something that didn't happen, like if Tower showed, you know, a B-52 bomber blowing up the tower and that's how the shooter was killed, well, that wouldn't be true. I would have a huge problem with that. So was um, Saving Private Ryan a documentary? Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about that. I mean, I know the movie, but I don't know if there was a specific soldier that, so I don't, I don't consider, I don't, I think that was just based on true, you know, but I don't consider that a documentary because of the majority of it was centered around. Yeah. There were tons of soldiers that were probably rescued. And so they, but then they constructed this whole narrative, had character names and all that kind of, so do I personally consider that a documentary? No. But I would consider Tower to be because they aren't making up fake people. They didn't write a story for it. Is no, what you're this saying. Event, this event. So you're happened. not. You're not. You don't feel the documentary label necessarily means it's using real footage or real interviews or whatever. It can be reenacted. It can be staged as long as what it's telling is a real story that wasn't written 
as right. a story. I mean, going a, back to like Thin Blue Line with Errol Morris, I mean, that, that had recreations yeah. in it too. So it's not like recreating something is something new. I think the problem some people may have is that they couldn't tell it was being recreated because it was animated. Yeah. But I think to make the movie interesting, they made it animated. And I, and I think also some of the stuff isn't recreated as much as it's news footage, but they rotoscope over the top of it. And so it looks like they just read, but they were, they were taking, they were being informed. And I'm with you. I agree. What I thought was just interesting is kind of hearing some people talk about, well, documentary, you know, more and more people are starting to be a little critical about whether uh, if you stage footage or act out footage or use actors, which tower did use actors to play the real people because they wanted to show them at the time of when the event happened. And, sure. You know, using actors, using recreations, does that automatically invalidate you as a documentary? And then there's the question of almost 90 plus, almost 80, 90% of the film is animated. Right. So should it be in the running for best animated film? I don't, I've thought for a long time, and it's kind of been a shame that when it comes to animated films, normally it's relegated to like DreamWorks, Pixar, and Disney. Yep. Um, and it's like animated means has to be okay for kids. Um, I cannot remember if Waltz with Bashir or um, I think Persepolis was nominated. Persepolis was. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that was that was based on a graphic novel, so it wasn't like a documentary. So that wasn't a kid-friendly film. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so there have been. So absolutely, this should have, this should be nominated for best animated film. Okay. Um, now, the, the problem would be... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, kind of like when you nominate Meryl Streep for two best actress categories and you split the vote, I feel like it has a pretty good chance for best doc. And if it's also nominated for best animated movie, mm-hmm. then people are going to be like, well, I'm going to vote for it here and not vote for it there. And I would hate for it not to get recognition in either place. Yeah. Um, I, you know, because the thing is, it's like, then they would have to do like best animated film for children, best animated film for adults, which there aren't enough out there. Yeah. Um, so I, interesting yeah, yeah. thing, interesting I, thing. Should it be nominated? I would never consider it just because I consider it a documentary, but well, my thing is the way I look at it this way is yeah. I don't see, I, I don't see the animation on tower as the crowning achievement that I think it should be recognized for. I think it should be recognized as a documentary because that's you. really where its power is. I got you. The rotoscoping is cool. It's yeah. a great way of conveying these stories without showing actual footage or, and, or, or and being able to recreate it without trying to make it be more seamless. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't see the animation. I mean, I look at something like, you know, the Disney films and okay. Yeah. I, I, I like tower better as a film, but yet from an animation standpoint, the craft put in animation. Yeah. I mean, those Disney films kind of kick butt when it comes to animation style. I I think the key is, are you, are you naming a film best animated film because of the art involved in the animation? Or are you calling it best animated films because it's the best film that just happens to be animated? Right. That's the distinction for me. I tend to look at it as when I hear best animated film, I'm looking at what is a good film that also just really had some great, great, Art and animated art to it. And yeah, I don't know if I would put Tower in that category. But you tell me documentary or just overall good movie? Yes, absolutely. It is like good in those categories. So right. I'm with you. I don't think it should be split or anywhere like that either. But um I just thought that was a kind of an interesting discussion that people are having about that film because it does cross over into several categories because of the way it was made. So I guess to clarify, I would not consider saving private Ryan a documentary because it has 
really well-known actors and the entire movie is told like there's never any narration there's never any interviews it's all you know what i mean so it's all done from a fiction perspective even though it is the same way i wouldn't consider ring of ring of fire or walk the line not ring of fire but walk the line well again somebody had to write the story somebody had to write even if it's based on a true story right somebody wrote it there's a there's a story script written for it tower yes there's a framework written of this is how we're going to tell the story but the people that are talking and being interviewed even though their words are being communicated by an actor right it's still their words and they're writing the story as they go right yeah okay it's a gray area, but it'd, you it'd know. be interesting. It would be interesting to see. I've often regretted because I wondered what certain things would be like if they were completely animated. Apparently, there's going to be a Dark Tower movie, and that's a Stephen King uh, books that he's written a series of books, and they're going to make a movie out of it. And a, a while ago, before I heard they were making a movie, I was like, you know, it's a shame. There's so much good material there, but Stephen King movies don't seem to really translate well, or his stories, like The Shining, did. But then you have other things that just don't translate well, like, you know, it, the TV series thing with like the spider looked really fake and like, like, you know what? It's too bad they don't do animation. But the problem is kids would want to see it and it's not for kids and adults would say, oh, it's too, you know, it's too cartoony. I don't want to go see that. It's a shame that that tool isn't used sometimes because it can communicate a story better. I agree. agree. But with something like Tower, you know, that could kind of open up ideas for people. So I don't know. That's uh, an interesting topic, I think. All right, that's our news. Do you have anything else? No. I'm We're all good. caught up on that? Good. Yes. Well, let's move on to our final section of the show, which is our recommendations. Again, this is where Chris and I both bring out a film that either we've caught back up with recently or just one we feel like maybe needs a little more love, a little more attention. Um, just a good chance for us to kind of say, hey, if you're looking for some ideas of films to check out, here's a couple more for you. Um, Chris, if it's okay, I'll go first. Sure. And let you finish up the show here for us. Sure. I uh, This is a little bit of a self-admission for me. Okay. I, um, I'm i a bit of a snob Uh-oh. when it comes to old films uh-huh. in that I generally don't like them. What? You're Mr. Citizen Kane. Yeah, that's my – and I'm going to get to that because that is one <laughs> exception. My problem with films is that it, typically if I know it was done before a certain year, I kind of initially automatically write it off because I'm basically saying – most of the films I see from that time period, and I'm talking like 19, maybe early 60s, late 50s, earlier. Gotcha. It, so many of them just seem like it's just a stage play mm-hmm. recorded on film. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a big fan of that. If I want to see people standing in a room and exchanging a lot of dialogue and then moving to another set piece and exchanging dialogue, I'd rather see it in a stage play. That's just me. I don't see the purpose of it being a film. So I'm a little bit of a snob with that. I admit it. It's not fair. Because there's a lot of good movies from those those years. A lot of I, noir movies. That yeah, I just I've liked. I have a tough time with it. Okay. My wife watches TCM Turner Classic movies all the time, and every time I walk in the room, it's like more times than not, I just don't get connected with the film that she's watching. Got you. So, being a big monster movie King Kong fan, <laughs> okay, I had seen the 1933 King Kong a long time ago, back when I was doing some film school classes, and I didn't think much about it. Probably because I was even more snobby back then, back in my college years. Like, oh, well, you know, this could have been made so much better or whatever. Who knows what I was thinking at the time. But I just didn't think much about it. Okay. Um, I called back up with it again. Mainly because, I, you know, there's a new Kong movie coming out next year. Looks kind of fun. Kind of excited about. Um, It's, you know, Susan, my wife's got the Turner Classic Movies going. It happened to be playing on there. So I'm like, you know what? 
me watch this again. And I got to admit, yes, the King Kong model is cheesy looking. Yes, it's <laughs> stop motion animation. Yes, it's there are some places that are you could laugh about if you really wanted to. But I'm telling you, overall, this movie is really good. Okay. And it's actually pretty freaking scary and intense for being a 1933 film about a claymation looking, you know, ape. Right. Um, you know, people are getting eaten. People are getting trampled on. I mean, it's, <laughs> it was pretty intense. I can't even imagine what an audience in 1933 going into the movie theater and watching this sure. would have felt afterwards. Okay. So I am putting it along with Citizen Kane to say, you know what? I am appreciating this film because at the time, to do what they did with the tools and resources they had available. Sure. It's very impressive. You're also a Metropolis fan. Yeah, I am. I am like Metropolis as well. So, I mean, basically you can kind of tell if a film has a certain visual style or filmmaking craft to it, even from those years, I'm a fan. It's just when you just get some famous actors and give them a story and they act it out on, on stage and you film it with a camera. I don't care about that. That's not a, that's not intriguing to me. King Kong, I will say from a technical standpoint, Pretty darn amazing what they did almost 100 years ago now. Um, so, yes, the kids, if you have kids watch it, they're going to think it's corny. They're going to think it's cheesy. <laughs> watch it for the craft and understand just how monumental this effort was to pull this film off. Uh, I think it's worth your watch. So Okay. And you know, I know it's, it was running on TCM. I'm sure it's other places you can find it. I found it there. I don't know if you can find it other places how easily. So, uh Okay. Hopefully, if you're interested in finding it, hopefully there's a way you can you can seek it out. Okay, what have well, you got for us? My recommendation. Um, I was waffling back and forth between two. I'm going to save save the one I don't use for next next episode. I'm going to stick with uh, Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. Ah, uh, long yes. another long title. Not a fan of the title, but it is a movie that Damien Chazelle, who's made the much hubbubbed about La La Land, which is the musical that's like making the rounds right now. Hopefully Ellen and I will see it in the near future. I'm getting good reviews, but this was an earlier stab at a musical that he did. Uh, it's in black and white. It's pretty short. It's like 80 minutes and um, it's not perfect. It kind of does a lot of French new wave cinema type things where it's cinema verite, where sometimes you just feel like they're meandering around, not really advancing any type of story. It's more kind of freeform art, which goes along with guy who's a trumpet player mm -hmm. and he plays about a lot of jazz. So sometimes like he's playing and they kind of meander out and just show various street scenes and everything. And not as big a fan of that as others who may be, who really like jazz. So they, they may get a kick out of that. What I did really like was he did three, but really two standout musical moments that make me really excited for La La Land. Really? Um, one is kind of at a party scene where it starts kind of out of nowhere. And I was like, whoa, this guy just starts like singing. And like mm. when they're panning the room of this party, you see various people and you don't, and you like, there's no way that guy, like, he's just a background person. There's no way that guy's going to do anything. Like, mm -hmm. you see all these people, you're like, yeah, they're a bunch of non-actors probably, whatever. And then this guy gets up and just totally owns it. And you're like, wow. whoa. <laughs> Interesting. And then um, Madeline, she has a little bit of a musical number towards the beginning. But towards the end, Madeline has this musical number that starts off in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is awesome. Wow. Um, and I can't wait to see... You know, and I think both of you is basically non-actors. I think the girl was a 
she, I don't think it really acted a lot, um, but she was a trained tap dancer. So mm-hmm. that, that helped. And so, you know, these aren't like really professional big names, obviously, but when he's Damien Chazelle's given a lot of money and has Ryan Gosling and him in stone and mm-hmm. just like, and after whiplash coming off that, how big a movie that was, I can't wait to see what this guy does. I, you know, I'd heard all the buzz and I was like excited about it. But now after seeing this, I'm like, okay, this, this guy's got the chops. So Chris, I, I normally really look forward to your recommendations, but I got to admit, I'm trying to temper my expectations for La La Land. Uh, well, then and don't see this. <laughs> you, are, you are now raising them again. And I, I, I have really tried to teach myself that if there's a movie that seems like it's going to hit my, my sweet spot. I really try not to think much about it. I don't watch the trailers anymore than I have to. I just really try to downplay it. Got you. I love the idea of a throwback musical. Um, very excited about Lala. I really liked Whiplash a lot. So, yeah, you liked it more than I did, oh, yeah. as I recall. And I'm just trying to temper my expectations. But now you're telling me that there's a film out there I could watch for like a buck on iTunes. Right. That is going to get me more excited. I'm like, ugh. Tempting. <sighs> yeah, so. it was. Yeah, actually, that's honestly... I'd heard about the film, but I caught up with it because it was like one of those specials they run on iTunes where it was only a dollar. By the time you hear this, don't know if it will still be a dollar, but definitely worth a dollar watch. Wow. So, yeah, that's okay. my recommendation. So that's Guy and Madeline on a Park Bench. Yes. Chris's recommendation. Mine is a 1933 version of King Kong. So, that's our show. I think a fairly well rounded show. We did Star Wars, we did um, Swedish film, yeah. drama slash comedy. We did some various news items, and our recommendations range from 1933 classic monster movie to a 2000-ish. 2009. 2009 uh, musical, low-budget indie musical. So Mm -hmm. that's our show for today. Um, Again, we are part of the Mesh Network, which is the Mesh.tv, where you can always find out what we're doing and see shows that we've posted. And Chris, there's also some ways that people can reach out to this, which we certainly appreciate and enjoy. How could they go about doing that? Probably the best way, if you want to write us or you know, engage with the dialogue, is to write at info at themesh.tv. Just mention Foot Candle Film, something you want to talk us to talk about, or a film review we got right or wrong, or you know whatever. That's probably the best way to get in contact with us. Outside of that, Alan and I are both on Letterboxd, uh, which is a film review site that we kind of do a diary entry of different movies that we watch, give star ratings. That's another way. Um, but generally the info at mesh.tv is probably the best way to, you can send an email there. Yes, absolutely. And we do want to hear from you. Tell us uh, what you like, what you didn't like, agree, disagree with any of the films we talked about. Maybe if there's some movie news that you're hearing about that we can start to address in future updates or future episodes, we'd be certainly happy to do that we as well. Love when people do the legwork for us. That's right. <laughs> That's Makes awesome. our job a lot easier. That's so. right. So that is our episode for today. We will be back with you next time when we have another episode to share, some more movie news, movie reviews, and a couple recommendations to boot. That'll be the next time. Is this our last show for 2016, recording-wise? Yes, Yeah, so this may be coming out. Don't know when it'll be coming out after today's date, but it is our last recording for 2016. So I'd just like to say personally, hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season. Uh, regardless of what holidays you enjoy or cherish. I hope you had a good end of your year, and we look forward to talking to you in 2017. Agreed. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. 
For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.